Um, we are looking at Psalm 1, and I want to start this morning and this evening with a little something that you guys probably missed. You may not have. Um, I don't know if you were on campus today at 11 o'clock, but did you hear it? Uh, you may have missed it. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but you were trying that you were actually being shaped. Shaped? What do you mean? You were being molded. Um, you probably don't know it yet, but if you were here at 11, you heard music playing these words, Hail, all hail, TCU. Memory sweet, comrades true. Light of faith, follow through, praise to thee, and what? T-C-U. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Above us, the bells, they're not really bells, it's a sound system, uh, play that song every hour on the hour. And uh, the reason that that happens is quite amazing. Um, it's the alma mater, of course. And so I just ask you, why does it play every hour? Why, uh, after every football game, do the 80-some-odd players come over to the band section, take their helmets off, raise up their frog fingers, and sing it with gusto? Why, at every frog camp, does every student learn that song with that dear old lady whose name I've forgotten? Y'all know who I'm talking about. What's her name, Will? Yeah, Mary Ruth. I love that lady. She's crazy. Kick, whatever she does. It's awesome. Um, I want to suggest to you it's because of this. Because TCU knows something about the human heart. They don't know that they know it necessarily, but they know it intuitively. And here's what I mean. They know something about the heart in particular that is actually made for worship. So why do they play that song? Here's why. It's because TCU wants you to become a lover of TCU. They want to change you. They want to shape you into being an alumnus or an alumni that uh, loves this institution. And that's a good thing. I went to the University of Tennessee. I still am of all. I'm all of all. That's the way it goes. But I want you to hear me say this about, they know this about the heart. Three things in particular. These are not our main points. This is what I just want to say. First of all, they know that your heart will be bent, will be attached to something. They also know that your heart is moldable. It's like Play-Doh. It's more like clay than it is brick in what it is bent on. It can be changed. And then thirdly, they know this. What the heart loves, what the heart loves, the person will ultimately become like. That's beautiful. Is that you, John? Keep, you can get it. Um, whatever the heart loves, it will become like. And here's the way I want to put it simply. The heart will always love the thing that it is shaped to love and thus directing the quality and the life of the whole person. Here's what I'm trying to get at. This series that we're looking at and beginning tonight, we're turning to the Psalms all semester. There's 150 Psalms. There's not 150 weeks in this semester. Thank God. That would be the longest semester ever. So we're only going to do, you know, probably 12 or 13 of these bad boys. But tonight we're looking at Psalm 1. And here's what I want to suggest that Psalm 1 has to do with the alma mater. First of all, they're both Psalms. 
And if you want to get at the heart of an individual, you don't go through the brain. Not necessarily. You go to the heart. If any of y'all grew up in church when you were little, there's probably not a single sermon that you can remember. But I guarantee you, you know this song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And then you can finish it out. It's because it's a song. And they got you. They got you. They got you to remember it. And you know what? That's what they want to do with the alma mater. The point is, is this. Is that songs shape us. And do you know what the Psalms are? The Psalms are songs. They're poetry. And why we're looking at the Psalms is this. is because I want you this semester to have your heart shaped and molded to love God more. That's why we're calling this series Learning to Love. Because you and me have to learn how to love. We don't naturally know how to do this. We have to be shaped. And so that's what this series is going to look at. The Psalms come to us, in other words. This is just an introduction. As a way to recover us to be who we were truly meant to be. And so we begin here with Psalm 1. The book of Psalms, commonly called the Psalter, begins here. And we'll see tonight that this metaphorical road that we approach the first psalm on, it acts as a gate to the other 149. That as soon as we get into the gate, the road splits. And it splits because there are two paths that this psalm is going to tell us about and no other. And you and me must choose one of those two paths. You can't not choose one is what the psalmist is saying here. And so we're going to look at that. And the path that you take will inevitably determine the quality and the type of life that you have. Not just when you're 20 and a junior in college, but when you're 35, when you're 50, and on your dying day. So, this psalm turns the tables on us. We don't get to ask questions of it. Rather, it becomes the questioner. And it says, I'm going to ask three questions of you. They're on your page there. And you can read them. Let's take a look at, that, look at them. What sort of person will you be? The psalm asks us. Secondly, what thing will you love? And then thirdly, what sort of life do you want? So let's take a look at the first of these. What sort of person will you be? Look with me there in verses 1 and 2. What do I mean when I say this? Well, the psalm immediately, if you look back over it, it's going to contrast two types of people. Did you guys catch it? Did you catch it in there? It was over there a couple times. There was the wicked and there was the righteous. And you can kind of see throughout here, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked and then so forth, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He is like this. And then it goes on and says, but the wicked are not so in verse 4. And therefore in verse 5, he says the wicked will this, but the righteous over here. So it's contrasting two different types of people. And that is the first question that this psalm is asking of you. What sort of person will you be? Now, are you saying, Ryan, are you asking me if I want to be a wicked person or a righteous person? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying yes. But not so fast, my friend, because I don't think that you... You liked the Corso reference, didn't you, Parker? That was good. Yeah, you liked it. Um, This is going to ask you about being righteous and wicked, but in terms that you're probably not familiar with. See, when you think of... Wicked, you probably think of the guy up in Newtown, Connecticut, 
And how he went into the school there in early December and he gunned down children. And you think that was a wicked, wicked man. Isn't he wicked? Or you think of the baseball player who takes the cancer patient, you know what I mean? The kid that's got leukemia or something and he takes him into the locker room and he gets everybody to sign the baseball bat and then he gets to sit in the dugout with the Rangers. You know, you think of that and you go, you know, wow, man, isn't that guy really, really righteous? Look at the good he's doing. But I just want to tell you, that's not what the Psalms are talking about at all. Zero percent. Done. Don't even think about it. Because when the Bible and the Psalms talks about wicked and righteous, it's not using moral performance categories. If you're a note taker, write that line down. It is not talking about moral performance categories. It is talking about status. It's relational language. And here is what it means. The righteous are those people who are in fellowship and communion with God. They are people who have embraced God's grace. They are people who have looked at Him and said, I need you. In other words, we might say because of now the coming of Christ after the Psalms, we would say, these are the people who are Christians. Who are the wicked? They're everybody else. So I want to be real careful. In the Psalms, if you know Jesus, you are the righteous. No matter what you did over spring break. I mean over winter break. That makes sense? The things that you hate yourself for because you can't quit. But if you know Jesus... You're the righteous. And the wicked, no matter how perfect you are morally, if you don't know Him, the Scriptures are calling you wicked. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you don't know Jesus. Those categories are huge. And so, I simply ask you as a point of application, dear one, where are you? What sort of person are you? I want you to know that this is the most important question that the Psalms will ask of you, that the entirety of the Scripture will ask of you, is where do you stand in relation to God? This, this question doesn't merely ask you to identify yourself as either wicked or righteous. But you know what it does? Is it invites you. It invites both people and it says, come. Come to me. All those New Year's resolutions that you made and that you promised you wouldn't do and you've already broken, Jesus says, that's not going to get in the way of me loving you. Come. All of the things that you said that you would um, stop doing last semester, like you would quit hooking up with your boyfriend or... Pardon me, you wouldn't sleep with her anymore, but you kept doing it. Um, Jesus says, that's not a barrier for me. I've, I come to love sinners. And for those of you who were like me in college and couldn't say no to alcohol, you know, like I don't mean you're 21, but I mean like, you know, you're, you, you just, your whole life evolves around the bottle and you hate yourself for it. This is an invitation that says, come. Mercy can be found. 
there's real and true forgiveness. It really does save a wretch like me and a wretch like you. And there's good news there. And so it says, come. Come be the righteous. Don't don't be the wicked. Do you see that there? Don't walk with them. Don't sit with them. Come. Like a mother calling her children, the psalm says, come, dear one, come. That's the first question that it's going to ask of you. Secondly, what's it going to ask? It's going to ask you, hey, what thing will you love? Remember we talked about TCU and we talked about that alma mater and singing it. We talked about Comrade Sweet. Because they know that what they want you to do at the end of the day is to love TCU. Because guess what happens when you're 27 and you love TCU? Do you know what you do? You pay money and you come back and watch football games. That's what you do. And you buy purple and white for your kids. And then when you're 35 and you're making better money, you start writing checks to TCU and they love it. Because then there's going to be college freshmen that need scholarships and that's the way they keep this bad Jackson going. It's called an endowment. But the only guess who gives the endowment? People who love TCU. The writer of the psalm is saying, Dear one, what will be the thing that you love? And it's right here in the text. He contrasts it. He says, first of all, look at the wicked. They love the counsel of the wicked. They, um, they stand in the way of sinners. In other words, they are the folks that love. They, they take their instruction from those things that are set up against God and His ways. That's who they counsel with. It's their running buddies, as it were. They, they practice things that are contrary to the way that God has set up this world to make it good and true and beautiful. That's the, that's the thing that the wicked loves. But the thing that the righteous loves, do you see it right there in verse 2? But His delight is in the law of the Lord. He is the one who cherishes God's instruction and wants to take it in in her heart and life. She's like the psalmist in Psalm 119. Listen to some of these psalms that come from a later psalm. Listen to what the psalmist says. <coughs> in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in riches. Put false ways from me and graciously teach me your laws. Your statutes have been my song. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I might meditate on your promises. I could go on, but the point from Psalm 1 is this. That the purpose, that the person rather, who delights in God's instruction is actually, do you see the first word? Is blessed. Is blessed. That's what it's saying. And the psalmist is saying, I want you to be that sort of person. That's what I want for you. I want you to be that. And why is that? Well, we're going to look at it in just a second. But this is telling us about the human heart. It's saying this. This psalm is assuming that you will ultimately always love something. You cannot, you cannot not love something supremely. I don't know what that is in your life. I don't know what it is. But this is what Jesus is talking about when He says this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because what you treasure, what you love, what you delight in is going to determine the whole course of your life and the sort of person that you will be. 
So I ask you, what is the thing that you love most? What is the thing that moves you, that motivates you, that you set your whole life on? What are the things that you fill your calendar up with, that you spend your money on? What are the things that are easy for you to give yourself to? David assumes that you can't love nothing. And in light of that, this psalm is saying that if, there, that if anything other than God and His Word, you are loving something less that will cause you to be a person that is less than whole, less than, as the title of the sermon says, than flourishing. We'll look at that in a moment, but let me ask you this. Will you dare this semester to be a person who falls in love with this book? Because you cannot delight in this book if you are not familiar with this book. And what this psalm is saying is is that you cannot flourish as a person unless you love this book. How can we do that? A couple of simple practical ways. One, on my iPhone, I have a Bible app. Do you? You know, there are reading plans that you can read a couple of chapters a day and you can just check them off. And that might be a good way to read them when you're walking to class or when you're eating or just read the Bible. Yeah, I said it, but that's real. You won't love it if you don't read it. Secondly, RUF, we do Bible studies. I'd love for you to come because we open the Bible every week and we read it. And we read it to one another. And we try to fall in love with it. Now maybe you have this at your church. Or maybe you have it in your fraternity or your sorority. And I'm not talking about where you just kind of sit around and talk about good ideas. But I'm talking about you open this bad Jackson up and you talk about what this says. You know what I'm saying? It's a big difference between I feel like da 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 and like saying this is what this Bible says. We're going to do that in RUF. I'd love for you to come do it with us. We would love to have you come do it with us. It's one way to read this thing practically. That's the last little plug that I'll do. But I want to tell you, you fall in love with this book, your life changes. You begin to love something that's beautiful. And your heart and your life begin to change, much like that person that sings the alma mater. And if you doubt it, make a bet with me. Read it for 30 days. Read it for 40 days. I don't care. Read it for a week and tell me if things don't begin to shape differently in your heart. I've seen it to be true in my own life. It's just what God seems to be saying to us. Lastly, and this is very connected with what I was getting at. The last question that the text asks of us is, what sort of life do you want? So what happens when somebody does actually delight in the law of the Lord and therefore God Himself? Well, look at verse 3 and 4. <coughs> this person will be like a tree. And what is that tree like? Well, look at it. It's an arid climate, right? If you've ever been over to Israel or the ancient Near East, you know it doesn't get much rain. But what's pictured here is a tree whose roots go deep and they're by a stream. And it says what about the leaf of that tree? It doesn't wither, does it? That means that the tree is what? Flourishing, right? 
That's why all semester long, I'm going to remind you of this every week. And how am I going to do it? Look at the screen. What do you see? You see a leaf flourishing to remind you that if you want to flourish, if you want to flourish, you've got to love the law of the Lord. Now moreover, what does that mean for you and me? Well, it means this. Most of y'all think that God just wants us to quit being sinners. That He just wants to make us neat, nice, moral people. And I'm here to tell you that that's not at all why God's saying don't sin. He's saying don't sin because, hear me if you can, when you sin, you become less than human. It's like God knows what is best to make you most whole, to make you flourish, to make you live as the true Carter, the true Annie, the true Chloe, and the true Garrett. He's saying, if you will love me, you will become more who you're supposed to be. And the more that you run away from me and do the things that I'm asking you to not do, the less human you become. If you have seen the Lord of the Rings, you know the story of Smeagol turned into Gollum. And it's because of that dadgum ring that he couldn't stop from loving. And what happened to him as he loved that ring? He turned into Gollum. And this Word is saying to you, dear one, that when you love something other than God, you become Gollum-like. And you don't want to be Gollum-like. That's what this is getting at. It instead gives you a picture and it says, I want you to be like a beautiful, flourishing, powerful tree. That when the sun comes, the leaves stay vibrant and full. And that when the rains don't come for a while, it still grows because its roots are so deep and it's so flourishes. And that that tree produces fruit, it says. And is the, is the fruit for the tree itself? Does a tree grow fruit for itself? No. A tree grows fruit for what? For other things. God wants you to be a blessing to other people. To bless this world. To go back to your campus right here. And to bring about His name and His glory right here. That other people might know Him. And that other people might flourish. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy to me that that's the plan that God has. And He says, do you want that? Do you want to live that sort of life? Because it's yours. It's on offer for you. For you it is. That's insane to me. Listen, I want to close with this brief thought. Some of you love more than anything else. You're like me. Okay, and you struggle with this. You want people to like you so daggum much, it's not even funny. You're afraid to just, I don't know, you're afraid to like wear the wrong thing at school because you're afraid somebody's going to see you and then they're going to hate you. Uh, more seriously, why is it the worst thing on this campus to be uncool? It's because you know social capital is everything. It's because you know deep down that when that stuff gets spent, you got nothing left. 
And what this seems to be saying in the Gospel is, is that, you know what? There's one that already loves you and already thinks you're the bee's knees. In fact, the Scriptures call you the apple of His eye. And that's the maker of the daggum universe. And He looks at you and He cherishes you. And He delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says that He sings over you. You ever thought about a mom singing a baby a lullaby? Sorry, getting choked up. New daddy moment. We sing to our girls every night. It just hit me that that's what God does with me. That's what God does with you. Who cares what your classmates think? Who cares if you don't drink at your next party because they're not going to like you? Really? You know? A lullaby. A lullaby being sung over you by the maker of the universe. Some of you are like me too. That you're absolute control freaks. And you can't stand the concept of not knowing what the future holds. And so you manage your life and you manage people and you walk all over them and you make them feel like crap because you have to keep things in control. And ask your friends if you're a control freak. How do I treat you? And if they're honest, they're going to say something like this. I feel small when I'm around you because I feel like you use me because I'm only good for what I can give you. Nobody wants to be that sort of friend. How do you beat it? Well, you listen to what Jesus says when he says, don't worry about your life because I've taken care of it. Some of you are graduating in a couple of months and you don't know what's coming. But you know who does? The one that loves you. And that's all that matters. So you can tell your mom and you can tell your dad, I don't know what I'm doing in May. <laughs> but Jesus does. And he's promised to take care of me. So y'all got to back off. You know, that's what's, that's what's real, y'all. That's what this Word is telling us. It's unbelievable. Well, listen, I'm through yelling. Sorry, I get so worked up sometimes. That's crazy. I want you to see this. Here's the rub. No matter who we are, we always end up invariably choosing the wrong thing over and over again. We love the wrong things, don't we? We may want to be someone who embraces God from the heart, but we can't. How many times? How many times have you said you'd do this and then you didn't? Here's the thing. We know that the righteous are those who embrace God's grace. But what happens when we can't do that? You thought about that? Now we're really screwed. So we need something else. We need somebody else. We need somebody else that can do that for us. And that's what this psalm ultimately points to. In Matthew chapter 4, there was a man named Jesus, who you know if you're a Christian, that said this, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know what that means? That there was one who really did delight in God's law, who really delighted in the entirety of it, who was bathed in it, who loved it supremely. And He bled and He died for you. And so that everything that He did is credited to your account. It's as if it was actually yours. And when you begin to see that, your heart begins to change because it's no longer TCU that you're singing about, is it? Because it's now you see someone who's made things right between you and God. 
His name is Jesus. And it frees us to sing about Him. The whole entirety of the semester, we're going to be looking at Psalms. And we're going to be looking at how they shape us. And this first Psalm, as we go into the entirety of the Psalter, is saying, what sort of person do you want to be? Hey, what's, what sort of thing do you want to love? Hey, what, what sort of life do you want? Because in the end, there's only two ways. Will you come flourish with me? Will you come walk alongside me as I try to follow Jesus? We really can do that together this semester. We need each other. And we need our friends that aren't here. And so I just challenge you, challenge you this semester to come flourish with me by loving Jesus and loving what He has to say. Will you pray with me? God, we thank You for this night. And we ask You that You would take these things and impress them deep in our heart. We pray, O Lord, that we would love Your Word and and love You more. And that these sort of things would... um, Gosh, Lord, that they would begin to shape us from the inside out. We need for You to do that for us because, as we've said, our hearts can be hard. We're indifferent. We don't know how to embrace Jesus rightly. And so we need to be reminded of a love that will never let us go. And would You help us to believe that as we sing it now. And it's in Your name. Amen.